Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it's Albert. We got a great, great show coming for you this week. So much to get to. In the takeaways, we're going to break down winners and losers in free agency. We've got a guest in who's going to be able to give us incredible insight in how this week goes inside these buildings. And we get to all of your questions in the six pack. Let's go. All right, welcome in. It's St. Patrick's Day. It's day one of the 2020 league year. It's the Albert Breer Show, and we've got a lot coming for you this week. We've got a great guest in. We've heard here on the program before to break down everything, and from A to Z, which teams did well, which teams did poorly, where the quarterback situations are going, and of course, what sticks out about what's happened financially over the last couple of days because really this is what this is all about it's about a bunch of guys pursuing the second contracts of their careers which are generally the life-changing money that every football player is pursuing we of course will get to your questions in the six-pack as well but let's kick things off takeaways my first takeaway is a winner in free agency that maybe you wouldn't consider a winner, but I'd consider them a winner looking at where they are and looking how they've maintained flexibility as a franchise and how I believe that they're moving forward in a very positive direction. And that is, again, it's going to surprise you because they weren't the most active team out there, the San Francisco 49ers. They wind up getting Trent Williams done. And they wind up getting a guy who, again, they traded a third-round pick for him last year. And this is a guy who last year, what they saw on tape was a a player that was playing at the same level he had at his height in Washington when he was the best offensive lineman in football. And so to be able to replace Joe Staley as seamlessly as they have and lock up Trent Williams long-term, and it was costly. I mean, I told you guys in the Monday column that it was going to cost them a lot and that they were willing to go to... $20 $20 million a year, they wound up having to go further than that. They wound up going to over $23 million a year. It allows Trent Williams to nudge past David Bakhtiari um, as the highest-paid tackle in football. It's well-deserved. Now they can go forward and look at Trent Williams. Legitimately could be like the answer for them for the next five years or so. If you look at how tackles age, how Andrew Whitworth has been able to play into his late 30s, how Jason Peters was able to play into his late 30s. So they have that taken care of. The center position was a need after what happened with Weston Richburg. Well, they bring in Alex Mack, who at one point Kyle Shanahan brought with him from Cleveland to Atlanta all those years ago. Somebody who's very familiar with Kyle Shanahan who will be, who will be able to step right in. So they get that addressed. 
And I just look at where the Niners are and how hurt they were last year and how they were in contention into December and how they're just 13 months removed from a Super Bowl and how presumably they'll be getting those guys back, guys like Jimmy Garoppolo and Nick Bosa that were hurt last year and the development that could happen on their roster with guys like Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk growing up and getting better, guys on the defensive side of the ball like Javon Kinlock growing up and getting better, and how the Trent Williams signing frees them up to address the secondary in the draft, which is another plus, and how they still have the flexibility, if they ever want to, to upgrade at the quarterback position. And again, like even after a bad year where a lot of – they just got struck by, with a lot of bad luck, they maintain their core – they maintain flexibility to continue to make moves. And the strengths of the team, the offensive and defensive lines, they continue to put resources into maintaining those strengths. And that's what good franchises do. So I I know we're all we're, we're going to get to the teams that were the spenders here in a second. But what the Niners have been able to do in kind of keeping that team together in – letting certain guys go or getting hit with retirements and replacing guys, whether it's Trent Williams replacing Joe Staley on the offensive line, whether it's being creative and finding a way to keep that defensive line group a strength, even though there were, there was about to be a bottleneck of, of contract situations where they kept Eric Armstead. They moved to Forrest Buckner, who's an incredible player. They bring in Javon Kinlaw as a young guy, first round pick top half of the first round guy to replace him. It just, Really, really impressive how the Niners continue to maintain flexibility with where they're at and have a really responsibly put together roster. Takeaway number two. Now, the Patriots, I'm going to give you guys the two sides of this. On one side, I think this is an acknowledgement of where things have gone awry with them over the last few years. On the other side, I'm going to tell you that I think what they did in free agency was really solid. And you guys know me. I'm not usually a fan of big spenders and free agency. But I'm going to give you guys both sides of this, okay? The first side of it is the reason that cap space was available in the first place was because they drafted so poorly. 15, 16, 17, 18. There's not a lot in those draft classes for the New England Patriots. So what does that do? That means you don't have guys on your own roster who you want to pay. And if you don't have guys on your own roster who you want to pay, who you want to extend, who you want to lock up long-term, what happens? There's a vacuum. That's why teams like the Jets and the Jaguars have had so much cap space over the years because they didn't have guys on their own rosters to pay. And that's unbelievably enough, just two years removed from a Super Bowl championship where the Patriots were coming into this offseason. So that's why when I hear people say this is part of some master plan coming into this offseason with all this space, I, it wasn't perfect world they're drafting really well in those years and they've got their own players that they're ready to sign in fact like they wouldn't have had the cap issue last year if they had done that because they would have been able to say say goodbye to some older veterans before they did instead they mortgaged their cap to keep that group together because they didn't have young guys coming up through the system so that created the log jam last year with the with the, with the dead money and the salary cap and then coming out of that now you've got this vacuum of cap space because you, ha- you don't have guys on your own roster that you want to pay. That said, I like what they did aggressively going out and taking advantage of a market, and we're going to get more into this in a second, Getting taking advantage of a market that 
was very much a buyer's market because there just there were more players out there and there were less teams bidding. And so to be able to go and get Matthew Judon at $14 million a year, which is half of what Joey Bosa got last year, right? And I, he's, not even, he's not close to Joey Bosa, but he got half of what Joey Bosa got. Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry come in at $12.5 million a year. Still well short, near the top of the market, but still well short of what Travis Kelsey got. Still well short of what George Kittle got. And then you see them add role guys, you know, and Devin Godchow is a role guy. Jalen Mills, a role guy. Um, Nelson Aguilar, a role guy. It, it's just, I, I think that what they did, it, at the very least, it was an effective way of using the vacuum that they had. And so I, like I, I'm a little hesitant to give them too much credit because they're in this position because they didn't draft well. And no one was predicting a pandemic was coming like three years ago. So it's not like this is part of some master plan. But they were in a circumstance where a couple things came together for them. And I think they aggressively filled their roster with good players. They've got Cam back, who I think is for right now a placeholder. Again, a guy who gives you flexibility not to have to overreach at the quarterback position. Um, I'm not surprised Cam's back there. I, th- I would be more surprised if it was. I'd be more surprised if um, if Cam's not going to have real competition. I think they're going to bring in real competition for him. But I'm not surprised they have Cam back and they want to give him another chance. He's barely played any football over the year and a half prior to 2020. He was coming off of major surgeries to his shoulder and his foot. I just I, I think they're back in a spot where they can be competitive again with some good versatile players. And I'm telling you, like the first two big ones, Jonu Smith and Matthew Judon, the reputation both those guys have, those guys are good at everything, maybe great at nothing, but that's the perfect kind of guy for Bill Belichick who he can move around and do different things with. Takeaway number three, very responsible free agent market this year. And I know that sounds weird. Uh, but like normally during free agency, we see guys resetting markets and you see second tier players getting paid like first tier players. And that just didn't happen this year. And that's a good thing. The receiver market collapsed, the running back market collapsed. And then if you look at other positions, safeties, corners, pass rushers, there were good players on the market who got got paid like good players, not great players, right? Like John Johnson, the safety went from the Rams to the Browns. Really good player. Got paid like a really good player. Didn't get paid like he's Ed Reed. William Jackson went from Cincinnati to Washington. William Jackson's probably not a number one corner, probably a number two corner. Got paid like a number two corner. He's getting about a little less than $14 million a year. You know, you look at the pass rushers. I, I covered Judon. You know, like Shaq Barrett gets $18 million per. Really good pass rusher. Got paid like a really good pass rusher, not like a generational pass rusher. So you look at it, and it's interesting how the market conditions forced teams to act a little bit more responsibly in the way that they were rewarding these guys. And it'll be interesting to see if some of this sticks or if in the future when the cap goes up, we get back to the wild and crazy, regrettable spending that we've seen in the past. But I think it's a very interesting development. Again, that's going to be something we're going to get to uh, with our special guest. Um, Takeaway number four, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are all in. We just mentioned Shaq Barrett. Shaq Barrett's coming back. They got Chris Godwin locked down. They got Levante David locked down. They got Tom Brady extended. 
They've created a two-year window for themselves. Jason Light said it to me over the weekend. Their general manager, they are all in. This is about winning a championship right now. And I'm telling you, I you see other teams do this, and there's fair criticism of these teams and you know, like being irresponsible and mortgaging contracts and kicking the can and all of that different stuff. This is different than that. You got a 44-year-old quarterback. It's going to be 44 in August. You've got a roster with a ton of guys that are either in the heart of their prime or in the back end of their prime, whether we're talking about guys like, again, Shaq Barrett, JPP, and Dominican Sue, Mike Evans, you know, Chris Godwin, Ronald Jones, um, you know, the, the guys in the secondary, those guys are coming into their prime. Guys like Carlton Davis and Sean Murphy bunting and um, and, and you know, Antoine Winfield is one of the younger players there. They do have some younger players. You know, you throw him in the group with Tristan Wirfs. But they've got a lot of guys on the roster right now who are capable of going and winning a championship. And so I don't mind them doing what they're doing right now. There's going to be, like, the cap isn't fake, so there's going to be bills to pay on this. And the most prominent one's going to be Tom Brady's. If you look at the way his contract is set up, if they play it out and he retires after 2022, the Bucks will have $24 million in dead cap charges to deal with off Brady alone. Levante David's contract is set up similarly. Um, they are absolutely like doing some things that they weren't doing before. Mike Greenberg, their cap manager, hadn't done these sorts of deals in the past. They had done more flat deals that were, again, the more responsible pay-as-you-go type of deals. But we're seeing a shift in the way they're doing business. And again, the Brady deal is proof of it. The David deal is proof of it. The Shaq Barrett deal is proof of it. And I have no problem with it whatsoever. You're all in. You have two years, winning championships the next two years. And then if for one year, in 2023, let's say that's the year, where you have to eat it the way that, say, the Patriots ate it this year, it's worth it. And I think anybody in New England would tell you too. Like, they went to a Super Bowl in 2008. They won the Super Bowl in 2018. That was their third straight year in the Super Bowl. They mortgaged some contracts to do it. They kept it together for one more year. They gave Brady that extra year there. The team got old. The wheels fell off at the end for that 2019 team. They ate it in 2020, but it was worth it to eat it in 2020 for that run of competing for championships, and that's where the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are right now takeaway number five leave Andy Dalton alone I like and I don't know when he became the symbol for mediocre quarterbacking he's fine he's a good quarterback went to the playoffs five years in a row in Cincinnati no Bengals quarterback not Boomer Esiason not Carson Palmer not Ken Anderson no Bengals quarterback has come close to doing what he did on a consistent basis going to the playoffs five years in a row and it was over the first five years of his career so He's got a relationship with the Bears offensive coordinator, Bill Lazor. They can plug him in right away. Like Andy Dalton played well down the stretch with the Cowboys last year once the Cowboys got a few things straightened out on their roster. I don't know why he became the symbol for mediocre quarterbacking. Andy Dalton is just fine as a quarterback. He's good as a placeholder. I don't think it precludes them from doing anything else in the position. I'm totally fine with the Bears signing Andy Dalton. And I think people need to get it out of their heads now that Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson should present, prevent all other activity for these. These teams have to cover themselves, right? Like, 
Teddy Bridgewater is not going to keep the Panthers from pursuing Deshaun Watson. Nick Foles and Andy Dalton aren't going to pursue aren't going to prevent the Bears from pursuing Russell Wilson if there's a chance to circle back on that again. Um, you know, like the Washington isn't going to be like they're not going to be prevented from from draft from trading up for a quarterback in April because they just signed Ryan Fitzpatrick. Atlanta isn't going to not take one fourth overall if they think the kid's special because they just restructured Matt Ryan. Everybody panics when they see these things. But the, the problem now is Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson are not available. Maybe they will be. Maybe that'll happen. But you can't pause all business waiting for it to happen. And so this abject panic that like, oh, well, we signed this guy. Just stop. Okay, you need to cover yourself. And you can actually ask the Patriots themselves about what happened last year and how they had to bring in Cam Newton on July 1st and what waiting did for them tells you everything you need to know. Set up the worst year that Bill Belichick's had in 20 years. And think it's smart to keep yourself out of that sort of situation. We'll get to our special guest right after this. All right, and now to just kind of, I guess, take the global view of where things have gone over the first uh, couple days of, I guess, legal tampering. I guess, like, real free agency hasn't even started yet um, and won't until Wednesday at 4 o'clock. We're going to bring in one of um, up one of our regular guests who we love having on because he gives us great insight in this stuff, and that's uh, former Eagles and Browns executive Joe Banner. Uh, Joe, welcome back in. And uh, for those who, and you obviously can't see it here because this is a podcast, but Joe's got a pretty nice view there uh, where he's coming from. <laughs> you would like to be able to see my view, that's for sure. Yeah, our spectacular spot. Yeah, absolutely. So Joe's coming to us live from Hawaii. We absolutely uh, appreciate him doing that. Okay, Joe. So, um, you know, I know like before, uh, before all this has started, um, you and I had talked some about, you know, what the set, what sort of effect the salary cap was going to have on the market and kind of what effect it was going to have on player, how players were getting rewarded, um, how some veteran players were handled. Have things gone over the last week the way that you expected them to? And if there were any curveballs, what were there? What were they for you? So I would say on the um, cut and restructure front, they went pretty much the way I would have spot. I've expected. Um, what has surprised me some though is that the deals that come in early on this two, three to five day period, we usually just see, you know, new market set, new highest paid guys at many positions where there's quality guys available. And uh, we're not seeing that at all, including just even relatively like, you know, Miles Garrett and uh, Bosa got up to 25 and $27 million average. Now, there's nobody in the market that's, uh, even close, frankly, to those players. But there are some other very good defensive ends that have been available. In a normal year, they probably would have been in the 20 to 22 range because it's a year later and they're not quite as good. But we're actually seeing them in the teens uh, in the 16 to 18 range. So I am surprised that the very top players uh, didn't even hold the market where it's been in the uh, past. And I think if they're not yet, they're not going to because this is the moment in which they they would if they were going to, which is scary for any of the middle-class next tier of players to sign if they're actually going to have to sign that much below where that mid-range player was a year or two ago then you know 
we're going to see even a more dramatic impact uh, in a negative way on player salaries uh, than I anticipated. Uh, and I had a fairly low expectation. So uh, not, not a good outcome for the players. Do you think, like, if you were an agent right now and your guy was still available, would you tell him I – mean, what would you tell him to do? Would you tell him to take a, take a one-year deal somewhere and try to kind of ride this out? Would you tell him to take them, like, whatever he could get because you're not sure how long um, you know, the cap ramifications are going to last for, whether it's going to be just this year or the next two years or the next three years? Like, how would you advise a guy who's just sort of still lingering out there? Yeah, I mean, listen, we're going to get to a point where the guys should take what they can get. Mm-hmm. But uh, at this point, even if I have a top player, I'm suggesting you take a one-year deal. I mean, even the uh, you know the few really top-tier players, we've seen a couple of really good defensive ends. We've seen a couple of safeties. You know, very, very good players, very desirable players, and they're well below the market we've seen in the past. So I would want to be getting another bite at the apple in a year. I understand there'll be more free agents next year, too, than there usually is because this group that will take one-year deals. But I'd still prefer those odds uh, anywhere. If I had a mid-level player or a really good player. Now, if I got a player that's at the tail end of his career or isn't quite as good, uh, I'm anxiously taking a one-year deal and, and just being happy I got it. The other players, I understand why it's a more difficult decision, but that's what I would do. I'd, I'd put it off a year and try again. Is there any deals made so far or... I guess teams that have really kind of jumped out at you with, uh, with what happened. Well, I mean, I, I'm no different than everybody. What the Patriots are doing is conspicuous, but I have a little bit of a different take on it. I mean, people are, you know, we have a history of the team that wins the uh, off season or free agency doesn't usually do well in the season. Um, and people are projecting at least some that I've seen that the Patriots are repeating that mistake. The teams have made, uh, I don't, I don't see that. I think the Patriots are signing quality players relatively young, uh, with mutually beneficial structures, filling real needs. Now, I do think they're overpaying a bit because the market is down so much and they're kind of paying as as the teams would have been if there hadn't been a COVID. So I think there's some opportunities there uh, where maybe they, they, in, they may have just felt like, hey, listen, we're going to overpay by a million or two, but we're going to make sure we get the guy, mm-hmm. which is not a bad strategy. But projections that they're going to follow in the steps of previous teams that have made a big splash in free agency and then not seen the benefits, I don't agree with that at all. I think they're they're much improved and they're signing just what they need. Character players, relatively young, at the positions they use to make the biggest impact. So I, uh, I'm, a, I'm a little surprised they're going this far and I'm, I'm a little surprised they haven't been a little more aggressive in trying to get some better prices. But overall, I actually think what they're doing is very positive. Do you think like, so I'm wondering about this because, you know, I, I guess, you know, they're always looking for inefficiencies in the market the way I know that you would, you know, when you were in that position. Do you think maybe in a certain way they're looking at it and saying, and I've heard this like that, well, you know, Matthew Judon, all right, so let's use him as an example. We're paying him 14 and that may be an overpay based on what the market was in 2021. But in a year or two, if the cap recovers, now all of a sudden that might be what would have been a $20 million player. Like, is there, do you think that dynamic exists where it's like, what is an overpay right now could mature into a really good deal in a year or two? Yeah, I think that's exactly what's going on. 
but realize the best of both worlds if you get a good deal now and it's even a better deal in two years. Right. And that's where I'm surprised they're not taking a little bit you know, more uh, advantage there. But what you want to do is be in the marketplace when uh, there's a smaller number of bidders and as large a number of players available as possible. That's, a, that's when smart teams seize the moment and, uh, and make moves that can help them for years. And I think that's what they're doing. I mean, I applaud it. I think it's smart. I think it's a smart seizing of the moment. I just think in some of the deals, there's so few dollars out there uh, that maybe they could have gotten a little bit better deal. My overall view of what they're doing is very positive. I'm kind of giving one, you know, nitpicky criticism um, where others are like, uh, you know, I've seen some very negative comments about them and just the generalizations about teams that overspend a free agency. I just don't think it's applicable in this case. Okay. So let's go to the other side of the coin. Then they're obviously a team that came in with a lot of room to work with. There were some teams on the other side of it, including your old team um, that, walked into this situation with a lot of contracts that I think were built for the market to continue the way that it had gone, um, which created a log jam for them. Saints are in that category. Uh, you know, obviously the Eagles, like I said, are in that category. The bears yeah. were in trouble coming into all of this. Yeah, um, the Falcons. Falcons. Yeah. I mean, there were a number of teams um, that, that came into that like that came into all of this, like in, having a lot to sort out. Was there one team that impressed you of those that came into it in trouble where you look at them and you say, you know, considering the circumstances, that team did okay? Well, I mean, I'd, I'd shift the question just a slight and give you a yes. Um, you know, when you have a good team, a successful offseason is keeping it together. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I think there were scenarios in which the Saints could have really had to decimate the roster. And of course, the question question mark exists at quarterback, which is obviously huge until the season goes. But they came out of the thing, uh, you know, basically keeping the team together and obviously borrowing some from the future, but not going crazy. And so I think teams that were in trouble, uh, but but had good teams, uh, if they came out of it without having to, uh, you know, tear apart the roster much and with a way to see over the next year or two to get back into reasonable cap shape, I consider that a win. It's not just who's signing the most players. If you already have a really good team, you may not even need to sign anybody. You just need to keep your guys. Um, I think the Colts are similarly in a position. They have some really, really good players they need to re-sign. Well, they haven't done anything in free agent yet. That may or may not change. But in their position, if all they do is take the money that they have in addition to the Wentz move and lock up some of these guys they've drafted so well over the last two to three years, I mean, to me, that's a real win. So I'm shifting the definition of success slightly. Um, to include good teams that are just managing to hold on and stay in solid cap shape. And, and I do think like the Saints and the Colts and some teams like that are doing that pretty well. It's so interesting you say that too because it's like I, I one thing I think I, I feel like I have to remind people of is the reason the Patriots have the cap space is because they didn't draft well and because they didn't have their own players they wanted to re-sign, right? And so you're in that position. You've got a vacuum you have to fill and maybe you filled it well, but you would rather be re-signing guys now from like the 17 and 18 drafts than you would be out there in the market, right? Uh, so, you know, your point is absolutely well taken. I mean, listen, the perfect scenario is we have a lot of cap room. We have some great young players. We're going to use it to re-sign them. Yep. The second best, though, is we have some cap room and we're going to kind of, you know, I don't mean this in a uh, way that others will take any offense, but we're going to take advantage of the moment and uh, kind of make up for uh, the failure to draft with some smart, 
you know, well-structured signings of players that, I mean, you know, the Patriots offense is, is more, much more important if two good tight ends than it, frankly, any wide receivers. So to get two good guys that are relatively young and high character, you know, that's a perfect fit for them. Um, and they did it probably in my opinion, paying a little bit more, but not a ton more than they should have. So, you know, that's, that's the, uh, you know, a much better place to be than like the other teams we were mentioning, like the, uh, the Eagles and the Saints and the Falcons that are really just trying to hold on with what they can. And in the case of the Eagles and Falcons, trying to just hold on as much as they can on teams that even weren't that successful. So like, if you look at new Orleans then, cause you did point out what they did. And obviously like part of that is it's the flip side of the whole thing, right? Like they had so many guys, they have so many guys they have to take care of. Right. Like, where you know now it's Marshawn Lattimore and it's Ryan Ramchick and obviously they tag Marcus Williams but they're gonna have to take care of him like what do you think it is that Mickey does well there like is there something that you look at when you look at the way that they built their team over the years where Mickey has been able to sustain this even though they seem to be in a perpetual like it's like you hear every other year they're in cap cap jail and yet they're able to they've been competitive annually and at some points, like the last three or four years, really, really good. Like, what do you think it is that Mickey does so well that that kind of allows them to sustain their success, even though it does feel like they're leveraged from a cap standpoint pretty often? Yeah, they are. And I think it's limited some of the moves they can make in the last couple of years. But as you're pointing out, they've stayed in the upper echelon, let's say final eight quality, uh, you know, roster every year. And uh, listen, I've always said that you're if you're not moving your cap, management philosophy as your quarterback gets older you're making a mistake so when you get to the point where drew Brees is 35 plus years old as somebody who never believed in borrowing from the future if i have a 35 year old hall of fame quarterback i'm all for borrowing from the future yeah and yeah it's going to leave you with some tough decisions it's going to need you doing some restructures you wouldn't have wouldn't wanted to you know mickey's been very good at in some cases having to play a fairly hardball game and still maintain a positive relationship with both the player and the agent. That's not easy to do. And it's very important to keeping the culture right and giving the coach a chance to, to succeed. So I think it's the, uh, the combination of those two things that they've managed to kind of be all in for three years in a row when you're only supposed to be able to be all in for one year in a row. And I think they're still a, a talented competitive team, assuming they can get solid play out of the quarterback position, which is, you know, an open question at this point. Okay, well, you mentioned older quarterbacks. I guess that means we got to go to Tampa and one of the guys who used to work for you, and that's their general manager, Jason Light. And, you know, Mike Greenberg's always, I think, been pretty disciplined in how he handles the cap down there. And they've had, like, relatively flat deals. They broke from that this year. Um, and that they mortgaged Brady's deal a little bit. They mortgaged Levante David's deal a little bit. And I think, you know, I talked to Jason over the weekend about this, like, like they're all in and, and they see a window for the next two years. Like we can compete for championships, like on top of the one we already have. Do you look at what they do and say, you know what? And I, I guess it's sort of getting back to what you just said, but like if you, if you've got that opportunity, it's okay to, to, to push some of those charges off. It's okay. If you know, you're looking at and saying, you know what? One year in 2024, Whenever it is, 2023, 2024, maybe we have to eat it for a year, but it'll be worth it to do it for the chance to compete at a high level in the next couple of years. Yeah, well, first of all, you're describing exactly what they're doing. And as my previous answer indicated, I think that's exactly the mm-hmm. right thing to do. 
Now, here's the part that I question a little bit what they're doing. Yeah. There's a long history of teams. By the way, it's not just football that win a championship and then do everything they can to keep the team together. And truthfully, that strategy has not been that successful. You should be picking your spots, is my answer. I mean, you know, at the end of this season, the Eagles had a press conference and the media was asking, you know, you won a Super Bowl three years ago. How did you get from there to here so quickly? I mean, you just really fall, you fell out of bed here. What happened? And their correct answer was we made the mistake of trying to re-sign everybody that won that championship instead of selectively keeping the right key people. Because keeping everybody, number one, isn't necessary. And number two, most teams that have done that haven't succeeded. So I would I, I think what they're doing is generally good. I think the philosophy behind it is right. I would probably be picking a couple of spots where I don't absolutely have to keep every single guy that was on that team. Um, just why because doesn't it work? Like you say, it well, doesn't, why, why don't you think? Because I've heard other people say it too, like the whole run it back thing doesn't work. Why doesn't it work? Yeah, well, it doesn't work because we're all human. So mm. we, we're up and down. We're not all the same. And we're playing different opponents and they have different strengths and weaknesses and players get older, players get injured or players have a good year or a bad year. And and just to assume that if we bring everybody else back, they're going to all play at the same level. Everything's going to be the same. And therefore we have a really good chance to win the Super Bowl again. Some of the players on the team that were free are going to not play as well as they did last year. Now, I understand you're really threading the needle to think that you can actually figure out which ones are which. I mean, that's that's yeah. that's a that's a big lift, and I'm not sure we've seen many people that can do that. But if you go into it with the attitude of, listen, we want to mostly keep the team together, and we believe we won because, let's just say, because this is kind of my opinion, they may have a different one, um, because we had a phenomenal uh, defensive coordinator and we gave him the right pieces to be able to trade challenges for anybody and we have a really well coached offense with a quarterback that has incredible ability to execute things okay so let's hold first priority let's hold together the pieces that made those two statements true Mm -hmm. and then let's be a little more selective after that about who we keep and who we don't as opposed to you know here's eight guys we could lose let's find a way to keep all eight Um, so this isn't meant as a criticism i think overall what they're doing is smart it's the right philosophy I just think, in in my mind, they'd be a little bit more selective versus just keeping everybody regardless of of price. I mean, they've gotten some good deals too, which helps. I mean, Barrett gave them a very good deal, mm-hmm. and that that helps you justify that. Um, there's no reason not to sign a quality player who's your own that you can get a good deal on. Who wouldn't do that? I think as like a team builder too, like you probably have to guard against like maybe you're not as being being as honest with yourself about players, right? Like where when things go bad, you're going to yeah. be very honest with yourself about like what players are, right? For, whereas like when you're, the, there's like a sentimental thing there, right? Like, and you have, Absolutely. like, and I'm sure like you guys probably had to do, when you guys were going to the NFC championship game every year with the Eagles, like there was probably a point where you guys had to sit down and say, we have to be really honest with ourselves right now about who each of these players is and block out like the team success that they were all a part of. Yeah, I say the very first test of how good a general manager is, is his ability to evaluate objectively his own team. And that can be a bad team, a mediocre team, or a good team. If you can't start really objectively evaluating your own team, um, you know, you see these plays every single day in practice most of the year. If you can't grade them, how are you going to grade a free agent who's on somebody else's team that you barely see or a college player that you have some 
you know, tape on, but you're not even always sure what was the scheme, what was the assignment, you know, all that kind of stuff. So if you can't sit down and convince me that you can objectively and effectively evaluate your own team and what it needs, you know, the odds are pretty strong. You're not going to be a really good general manager. Okay. Uh, before I get you out of here, because I do want to get you back to the beach there. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I want to go through like a couple quarterback situations because we haven't had you on since then. And the first one I want to start with is Carson Wentz because you and I um, talked about this in the fall. And I remember, I remember you saying like, it was like maybe as hard a quarterback, like like when you were watching him at the end, when he got benched, it was maybe as like a difficult a thing for you to wrap your head around, like how that happened um, as, as any that you've seen. What's your analysis now that it's over? How do the Eagles and Colts come out of this? Well, I'm going to give you the Eagles answer in two parts. Okay. I think if you look at from before they ever drafted them through now and what they got and what it cost, you cannot justify it as anything other than a failed situation. If you look at where they were a month ago and the need to move him, I actually think they did as well as they could have hoped to do with the trade. So, you know, if we deal just the immediate past, I think they've actually handled it reasonably well and come out of it about as well as they could have. Uh, obviously, if you turn it back to when they drafted, and I'm not really second guessing because I like the player in the draft, I would have made the same trade. I would have re-signed them at the same time. I would have made all the same exact mistakes that appears they made. Um, but, you know, they, they did come out of it as best they could have once they benched them in the season, you know, went the way it did. Um, you know, for Wentz, I think it's a win. I mean, if he can't succeed in Indy, he couldn't succeed anywhere. And we just know who he is and whatever he looked like at the beginning. All we ever thought in college is now mute. He's got a strong coach. He's got a successful offensive scheme. He's got one of the best offensive lines in football. He's got some really emerging, you know, if you take uh, Campbell and Pittman and Taylor, you've got three of the best young skill position players that I think are on the verge of emerging uh, into names the public will know even much better than they do now. I mean, he, he has no excuse to not have very significant success here. And if he's not, uh, he, the finger has to be pointed at him clearly and first. Um, so I think it's good for the Colts. I think it was a reasonable risk. I think there's reason to be hopeful. Um, and he makes a difference between getting them. If he's what they used, what he used to be, he takes them from a good team to a team that can compete with the best teams in the league. Okay, Stafford. That obviously happened before Wentz, um, but the Rams take a big swing and go and get a 33-year-old quarterback who I think a lot of people felt like was held back a little bit by his circumstances in Detroit. For those two teams, how do you look at that one? Yeah, so I'm a big Stafford fan, um, and I do think they upgraded. You know, the only question for me about the move is they, they have a roster that has a chance to compete well for a long time, and they kind of went all in kind of in the middle of that and kind of shortened the window. You know, if they go out and win a Super Bowl in the next couple of years, we'll all say it was absolutely worth it. Um, but I, it scares me, those windows, because, you know, a bad bounce, a referee call, an inopportune injury, and all of a sudden the season turns to good that had a chance to be great. And that's it's always scary to me to really shorten that that window and be in that position. But. Um, but that's not where they're at. They're in a, we're going to do everything we can in that couple of minutes to win a Super Bowl. In that case, I think they made a smart move and a good uh, acquisition. I think the same is true for Detroit. I mean, Goff may or may not ever really be much of a factor there, and I'm not sure that that's uh, going to be the difference between whether the move was good or not. They're, they're absolutely made the decision once and for all. We're, going to be, we're done being stuck in the middle. 
with no real way to see get to the top. We're going to step back. We're going to tear down the building. We're going to rebuild it. And we're going to be smart about it. And the assets they got in that trade, the financial relief they got uh, in the trade, and the possibility that Goff in the scheme, they're going to run a much heavier run scheme than what he's been in, maybe something he can do better in. But if it's not, they still freed up a lot of money, got some real picks that can be used as building blocks and where they're headed. So uh, the rationale for both teams, I think, is right on. Now we'll just have to see if the players involved live up to the expectations that we have. Do you look at it like just one more thing on that? Do you look at it like the Osweiler trade where um, the Goff's inclusion wound up getting the Lions that extra first rounder that actually maybe it simultaneously it's like a use of cap space to to use a cap space to take a swing on a young on a quarterback who's still young and get the extra pick? Yeah, there's no there's no doubt. I mean, we could argue the was it the first pick, the second pick, was it just some general increase? Yeah. But increasing Goff, in, uh, including Goff in that deal and switching some of those financial obligations from the Rams to the Lions was definitely part of what the Rams feel like they benefited from in the deal. They got Stafford plus, you know, significant uh, relief. Uh, and, you know, as I say, for me, with the mindset they have to try to win a Super Bowl here real soon, uh, it's the right move. Okay. Uh, Deshaun Watson. If you're the Texans right now, what do you do? And if you're another team, how hard would you how would you approach trying to get him out of there? Well, if I'm the Houston, this is easy for me and I don't know anybody that agrees. But it seems obvious to me. <laughs> I'm not doing a thing. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I'm sure as hell not doing a thing right now based on what? Some complaints to the media, to the public, something came through his agent. I mean, imagine if all a player had to do, a superstar player with five years left on a contract, all he had to do to get out of my building is complain out loud in February. I mean, you can't build a team that way. It's just a devastating thing. Besides that, you have a five-year contract, 26-year-old player, unquestioned character, work ethic, leadership, intelligence. I'm not moving him for anything. Uh, you know, And I don't believe when he really believes the choice is I'm retiring or I'm playing for the Texans, at least for some period of time. I don't believe he's going home and sitting there and losing hundreds of millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. And the chance to compete and play, which all indications are something he loves to do. So, I mean, I am, uh, I'm, and I'm doing just what they're doing at the moment. Any call is completely rebuffed. So I'm not even feeding anybody that may be trying to talk themselves into believing he's going to become, you know, available. Uh, I'm just, I'm talking to everybody in the building who's talking to anybody in the media or even talking to their friends who are coaches on other teams. I'm saying, we are not moving this guy. Don't say anything to the contrary because you're going to look like a fool and it will hurt us. And he's going to be our quarterback. We're not sure when he'll come back. We're not sure how much aggravation we'll have to go for be, through between now and then. But this is what every team in the league is dying to get. Yeah. We're not losing it. Yeah. <laughs> you stand right here. If you're another team, would you take a big swing? I, Whatever. I mean, get me on the phone, and as long as you're not completely beyond ridiculous, I'm not hanging up till I have a deal. Listen, okay. I said when this first started, Herschel Walker really went cut through all the nonsense. Three ones, three twos, a three, and a six. And I said if Deshaun Watson trade gets traded, it should be the biggest trade in the history of the NFL by a decent margin. So that means more than three ones, three twos, a three, and a six. 
Um, <laughs> and then if I'm the Houston, if I'm Houston, I'm still not moving him. By the way, yeah. But that's the scale of of what it would take. And frankly, if I was running a team and had a chance to get him, I wouldn't even hesitate to go there. Yeah, they were I mean, fifty percent me- hit rate on first round picks, fifty percent hit rate versus a quarterback that if you have, he almost guarantees you of at least being good for a long time. Yeah, I'm with you because I just like I look at it and it's like that that stat from 09 to 16, no quarterbacks are still no quarterbacks drafted in the first round are still with the teams that draft him. That's a stunning stat. It's 22 quarterbacks, and there are a few guys there who were who were extended and didn't make it. It's just you have a unicorn, and it doesn't like to me. I I'm with you 100 percent on that. Um, last one, Russell Wilson. If you're Seattle, what do you do? Uh, same nothing nothing <laughs> i <laughs> yeah, try to I figure that. out how to make the relationship better i do think yeah. some of his complaints are valid and the team should have addressed them years ago and they still can and i'm mainly referring to the offensive line when i say that mm-hmm. i don't think they've given him the best coaches to exploit what he does either I'm talking offensive coordinator positions when i say that so i'm i'm listening to him i'm taking it as constructive input doesn't mean i'm automatically just doing whatever he tells me to do but his, his concern about the quality of the offensive line and some of their scheme issues are completely legitimate. I think he's even a better quarterback than he's looked there, um, and that's been very good. And I'm not entertaining any conversations about uh, trading him. I'm just trying to figure out how we can win even more with him. Yeah, it's I, uh, <laughs> it's interesting because you look at all of these situations, and I, like, I don't know. I mean, I, I know this. Like, I think – there are 30 other teams that are looking at those two situations and probably really hoping that those teams sit still and don't do anything. Cause if those guys wind up getting moved, you think about the can of worms that could open, you know what I mean? Like, and I'm just, I don't know. I've sort of had that in the back of my head too. Um, all right. He's, he's Joe Banner, former, uh, Browns executive, former Eagles executive, and he's nice enough to come to us. Live from Hawaii. I'm not sure. What island are you on? I'm actually on the island of Hawaii right now. You are. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So he's in a much better place than I am right now. Uh, (laughs) You can get him on Twitter at JoeBanner13. He's also involved. We had Mike Tannenbaum on a few weeks ago. He's also involved with the 33rd team, which is an awesome, awesome project. You can tell people about that a little bit, Joe, if you want here. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, short version, uh, and this was Mike's idea years ago of getting uh, some of us together and college students and uh, young people interested in getting in football almost kind of running and it's free uh, kind of training program and did it by putting groups of very successful NFL people on the phone doing tape breakdowns, talking about cap learning lessons. Um, and now it's emerged into what will be a website and some webinars and some podcasts and a newsletter that we've received some really good feedback, which is just a dip in the toe of where it's all headed. But it's really good because we feel like we're giving back and, and uh, helping young people that want to get in the business and at the same time creating something that it seems other people are enjoying uh, consuming. Well, I got to be on one of the Zoom calls. And I just say from my own experience, it was fantastic. And I'm definitely going to be back. Um, Joe, we appreciate you coming out. And uh, I'll let you get back to whatever you're doing there, which is probably a lot more fun than what I'm doing right now. Always enjoy being with you. Take it easy. All right, thanks to Joe. He's always fantastic. I know you guys love when he's on, so we try to bring him on fairly regularly and figured this was a good week to do it. We're going to jump into the six-pack. You guys know how this works. Every week I put the call out for questions on Twitter. I pick six. If I pick yours, 
you get an answer here on the podcast and you get a like. That means I hit that little heart button on Twitter. And if I don't get your questions here on the podcast, maybe I get to them on the mailbag. So be sure to check out the mailbag on the MMQB.com as well. Question number one from Rex Remsen. That's at salary captain. Why don't we see more three-team trades in the NFL? Seems like a good path for a team like New Orleans or Chicago in a Russell Wilson trade, i.e. recruit the Jets to send Darnold to Seattle. Maybe, okay, and this was an idea he had, New Orleans gets Wilson, the Jets get a second rounder plus a future pick, Seattle gets Darnold, Lattimore, and a boatload of picks. That's a fun idea, Rex. I just think that these deals, with the NFL salary cap, the way it sets up, the value of draft picks in the NFL, I think it's hard to, to pull off three-team deals. And so I, I just think because of the structure of the league, it's a little bit more difficult. But I like your idea of what New Orleans is doing here, and I would not be surprised. I think the Saints, whatever becomes available at the quarterback position, whether it's Russell Wilson, whether it's Deshaun Watson, I, you know, I think that they will at least check in and they will at least kick tires on those ideas if they are available to them. They've always been aggressive in the past. They've always found a way to get things done. And the salary cap, and again, we talked about this with Joe, a little bit like it's not a myth to them, but they've at least found an effective way to continue being competitive while they're leveraged from a cap perspective. And so if there's a special opportunity They've always found ways to take advantage of those special opportunities and getting a Wilson or a Watson would be a special opportunity. Again, like I said off the top, neither of those guys are available right now. Question number two from Anthony. That's at a two low 11. Is this Belichick setting up for a rookie or Jimmy G both have an effect on the Niners? Anthony, I think you might, what you might be referencing is something that I tweeted out the other day that I wrote a while back that in 2017, if you go back and you look at some of the moves the Patriots made, a lot of what they did, I'm told, was aimed at Jimmy Garoppolo potentially being their quarterback a year later and beyond. And the real smoking gun was Brandon Cooks. There were other moves too, but the real smoking gun was Brandon Cooks. They felt like Jimmy Garoppolo would be better off with more downfield weapons, guys who could take the top off the defense, who could stretch the field a little bit, um, because he's not quite as accurate as Brady open up things underneath a little bit more for him and take advantage of his ability to get the ball downfield. So if you look at some of the things that they've done here, I think they work for Cam. I think they'd also work for Jimmy. You know, if you look at Cam's history, go back in, you know, his nine years in, in Carolina, what you see is the guy that he had to have was Greg Olson. That was the guy that was most important to him. And so you're here, you're giving Cam a couple of really good tight end options in Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry. And by the same token, every time Jimmy G's played, New England, he had Gronkowski. In San Francisco, he's had Kittle. So that works for him too. We mentioned the thing about the downfield weapon. Well, you know, Cam's ability to get the ball downfield in the past, they had guys who could get the ball, get, get downfield for the, for the Panthers. So theoretically, a Nelson Aguilar would work for him. It would work for Jimmy G too. Kendrick Bourne. Plays with Jimmy G in San Francisco, so there's some carry over there. So I think it works for both guys. I don't think you're building it for a rookie quite yet because you have no way of knowing, picking 15th, who's going to be available to you if you do like one of the top five guys. And I think Mac Jones would probably be available to you at 15. 
but you have no idea on Lance or Fields. I think you know with Lawrence and Wilson they won't be available to you. So like, I think it'd be tough right now to be building up for a rookie. But, you know, if you want to look at Garoppolo and Cam, I think it works for both guys. Question number three from Randy O. That's at Randall683. Any scenario where Lawrence isn't number one, Randall, it's a very simple answer, no. And I'll say it again. This is a generational quarterback prospect. This guy is in the same category as John Elway was in 83, as Peyton Manning was in 98, as Andrew Luck was in 12. All of those guys panned out. To different degrees, all of those guys panned out. John Elway won two Super Bowls, Hall of Fame. Peyton Manning won two Super Bowls, Hall of Fame. Andrew Luck was tracking for a Hall of Fame career, went to the playoffs his first three years in the league, advanced around further each year. Then everything sort of came undone around him. He wound up getting hurt as a result of that, and obviously he retires, but he was very much headed for that sort of career. And if he had stuck with the team that Chris Ballard was building around him, I very much believe that Andrew Luck would be either be a Super Bowl champion already or become a Super Bowl champion very, very soon. So, like, if you want context on what it means, look at those three guys and then look at the guys who are the second quarterbacks taken in those drafts. Todd Blackledge in 1983, Ryan Leaf in 1998, and Robert Griffin in 2012. That doesn't mean that you have to take – have to like a quarterback being the first quarterback taken, that's the only way to get one. That's not true. We've seen in other places, Josh Allen was the third quarterback taken in 2018, and Lamar Jackson was the fifth quarterback taken that year. Obviously, Patrick Mahomes was the second quarterback taken in 2017. Deshaun Watson was the third quarterback taken. Russell Wilson was a third rounder. Dak Prescott was a fourth rounder. What I am saying is that you know, with a guy like Lawrence, it's like Luck, it's like Manning, it's like Elway. There's just a heck of a lot more certainty. Whereas, you know, with the other guys, they're like a lot of other quarterbacks that are coming out where you're not quite sure how they're going to react to being a pro. You're not sure, quite sure how they're going to translate to being a pro. Of course, to some degree, they're going to be a prisoner of their circumstances. So, like, that's the difference between Lawrence and the rest of them. Question number four from Brad Bonesteel. That's at B. Bonesteel. What do you think of the Broncos' decision to pick up Fallon Miller's option? Uh, Brad, I, I, think it's a, I think it's fine. They've got the cap space to do it. You know, he's obviously been a very, very important player um, over the last 10 years. I think about as important to a franchise as a non-quarterback can be. So if you can have that guy remain um and he's well liked and well respected in the building i think you do it uh and i think for a new general manager and george payton coming in when you show that you have a level of respect for something someone who came before you and who's been there for a long time is accomplished and that gives you some capital in the locker room so you know i don't think that they're in a position to compete for a championship right now so, like, I look at it like you want to give the guy the gold ring and give him $17.5 million for this year. I don't really have a problem with it. You can be a good influence on some younger guys in your roster as you start to turn the page and build around some of the younger guys who are already there. Got a really good, you know, a couple really good young linemen. They've got a good young skill group uh, around whoever is going to be the quarterback. So um, there's a lot to like about what's going on in Denver now. Like, I think Von Miller's kind of the guy where, you know, you look at him and you say, okay, like, we're going to, we're going to go forward with you because you've been a, you've been, you've, you've been the, like the, the face of the franchise really for the last 10 years in certain ways. Obviously Peyton Manning was there too. Question number five from DL 
Byram at RL Byram. We keep hearing about how soon gambling money is going to raise the salary cap. When exactly is that supposed to happen? My understanding is it'll happen when gambling, sports gambling, is legal in all states that have NFL teams. We're still a little ways off from that. So if you look at it, you can say, like, and I just shout out to the Action Network. They were the ones where I got this information from. You know, there are a few states that don't have legal sports gambling now where it looks like it could be on the horizon. Among those states, Massachusetts, Florida. Florida has three teams. Ohio. Ohio has two teams. Georgia, Texas. Texas, of course, has two teams. So those states could fall into place in the next year or two. And then I think you have some other states where it sounds like it's going to be a little bit more difficult. California, of course, has three teams. They were on that list. Minnesota has the Vikings. Wisconsin has the Packers. So how soon does this happen? I think part of it is going to ride on it becoming legal in every state that has a team in it. And we still could be a couple years away from that. The one thing I have wondered there is if because of the revenue shortfall in 2020, the owners might get a little antsy and want to cash in a little earlier than that. But people that I've talked to have been pretty resolute and that the right thing to do would be to wait until um, sports gambling is legal in every state that has a team. Makes sense to me. Question number six from Chad Main. That's at Chad Main five. Best guess where Alex Smith winds up. Is he a week two or week three signing after an injury somewhere? Timing of the announcement with Washington and Smith parting ways seemed early. Well, it wasn't early and then I think Washington wanted to give him a little bit of runway. I also don't think Washington was thrilled with the comments to GQ um, that we saw on his knee injury um, and how Washington handled it because I do think that Ron Rivera and that staff felt like they were pretty sensitive in the way that they handled it and the way they helped him get back in the field and created opportunities for him. Um, so, you know, I, I think that there's a, like, to me, like Jacksonville still makes the most sense. You know, you can bring him in. He's got the relationship with urban Meyer. He can be a program guy for urban Meyer. And you really have the opportunity then to give Trevor Lawrence, a really good mentor, a guy who was a first overall pick himself, who can help ease the transition to becoming a pro. And if for some reason, and this isn't going to happen, but for some reason you don't, think Trevor Lawrence was ready to start week one. Maybe you go ahead and let Alex Smith start in September. Like again, like I don't think that's happening. I think Trevor Lawrence is the day one starter in Jacksonville. Um, but you know, like you, you have that option too. And so like, I think that makes some sense and he brings some things to the table that Gardner Minshew maybe doesn't. I also think there's a possibility. Maybe you could flip Gardner Minshew for a draft pick. If you brought in Alex Smith, which that's kind of a nice piece of flexibility there if somebody really likes the idea of bringing Gardner Minshew in. And I always like bringing you guys in and incorporating everything you guys ask of us. And so to close the show, I'm going to do what I always do, which is ask you guys for feedback. The best way to give us feedback that can help us is on iTunes. You can leave us a rating. You can leave us a review. That really helps with people looking for football shows. That helps them find our show, which I think we put out a pretty good product. Um, so you can do that on iTunes and you can also get to me directly on my social media. That's at Albert Breer on Twitter, at Albert R. Breer on Facebook, at Albert underscore Breer on Instagram. Get me your feedback. We will try to incorporate different things. Again, we heard you on the music. 
Um, and always remember to listen to all of our shows, not just this show, but also the MMQB podcast, um, which Gary posts on Mondays and the Week Side podcast with Connor and Jenny. Three different podcast feeds, but you can find all of us in all the same places. Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, wherever you guys get your shows. We are there. Same time next week. We'll see you guys then.